Thank you for joining us for another powerful message from the teaching ministry of Destiny Church. We hope that you'll be challenged and stretched to grow through today's message. But most of all, we hope that you'll encounter the Father's love. If you're in the greater Mobile Bay area, please join us for our weekend worship celebration. Or if you're looking for a church family excited for a revival, please come join us in bringing heaven to earth. Second, First Chronicles, sorry, chapter 21. We're going to dive into that. And basically what I'm doing is I'm taking the very last chapter that we've been in 2 Samuel, okay? So we've been there pretty much the whole time. So in 2 Samuel, the very last chapter is chapter 24, okay? But over in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, it's basically the same accounting of that story, except the chronicler here, the one who wrote this, is giving an account of the story that happened in um, 2 Samuel chapter 24, The reason I want to jump over to 1 Chronicles 21, same story, is because there are a few more details in it that's a little more detailed, and it it paints a picture. And this, I believe, will be our last message in this series. And uh, man, I tell you, Alan, that was a great message that you brought last week, just a powerful, powerful message. Um, I've enjoyed this series so much, and I know I've preached Uh, the majority of it, and I don't mean to uh, make that sound like I'm, you know, self, you know, appreciating myself. It's the word that has been so good and the the, the word of the Lord that's been coming out of it. So 1 Chronicles 21, and we're we're wrapping this series up probably today. I always say probably because you never know what God may do. Um, But it's been good. It's been good. It's just about the life of, of David. Uh, who God took this ordinary shepherd boy and did extraordinary things with his life. The thing that gives me hope in uh, David's life is we see so much of ourselves because the majority of us in this room are ordinary people. We're, we're, we are not uh, TikTok influencers. Well, I don't, I don't know. You might be. Uh, if you are, let me know. Uh, you know, I'd love to see some of your videos. But we're not, we're not famous. We're not, you know, singers. We're, we're not famous politicians or movie stars. We're average people. We're ordinary people. But God does some of the most amazing things through uh, extraordinary things through people. And so we've seen David come from very humble beginnings to this, you know, place of grandeur where he lives uh, in, in multi-million dollar, probably uh, of that time could have been billion dollar mansions. You know, he lives in a palace. He's got several palaces throughout uh, Israel. And so he went from this place of, of obscurity to a place of prominence. And God had, uh, through this process, God blessed him in so many amazing ways. We've seen the good. We've seen the bad. We've seen, like last week, Alan's message was the ugly part of David's life, which again gives us hope because how many of us have ugly parts of our life that we just wish that we could forget it, you know, like we know God's forgiven us, but ah, the old memory takes us back there so many times. Today, we're going to look at kind of the last part of David's life. So as we wrap this up. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a problem with pride. Most people who have a problem with pride do not eagerly uh, just divulge that. Like, yeah, I'm a prideful person. I never thought of myself as a prideful person. I, I didn't. I truly, honestly, never thought of myself as a prideful person. I thought of myself as a humble person, uh, as a, I'll, I'll do anything. Need me to clean a toilet? I'll clean a toilet. I mean, I've run my hand down in so many toilets in church work without a glove on. You know, somebody's got to do it. You're the only one here. What are you going to do? Um, I always kind of prided myself, if you will, in being humble. Like, I'll, I'll do anything. There's no job that I won't do. Um, there are times where people, if they see me out in Lowe's or Home Depot, I'm like, 
dude, nobody would believe I was your pastor because I, I look like the, the handyman or, you know, the yard guy. Uh, no, no disrespect to any of those guys because I grew up in a, in a very hardworking home. I never thought of myself as a prideful person, but the Lord revealed to me that I was prideful and that I carried the, a spirit of pride on me. And it was because, you know, it, it was born out of actually a very low self-esteem, a very poor self-image. So I was prideful in the fact that I couldn't let you teach me something. Because if, I, if, if you tried to teach me something, now if you were a teacher, that's one thing. If you were a professor, that's another. I'm trying to get knowledge that I don't have. But I'm talking about just little, correct me, reprove me, uh, help make me better. I would not receive that. And, and let's just say you were trying to improve me, whether you were my boss, my manager, my family member, one of my pastors that I served. If they were trying to improve me, if they were trying to teach me how to do something better or differently or correctly, I, I would say, yeah, 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 I got it, I got it, I got it. And I, before they even got out of their mouth, what, what they were trying to tell me, I got it, I got, you don't need to tell me, man, because I, like, I know it, I know it, man, I know it, I know everything, I know everything, when I didn't know it. And there were times when my, my leaders would say, hey, I just need you to be quiet. And don't talk because you don't know. Why was I doing that? Because I was prideful. Why was I doing that? Because inside I felt like I was inadequate. And any time that I had to admit that I was um, maybe deficient in an area, it made me feel bad about myself because I had been told my whole life that, you know, from different people that, you know, I had all of these things wrong with me. My voice was wrong. The way I walked was wrong. I looked wrong. All these different things throughout my whole life. So I had a very poor self-image. And so pride began to rise up inside of me because, and made me unteachable. Thank God he revealed that to me. Thank God I was able to correct that. But you know, there are other times in my life where God correct me, corrected me when I was prideful. I remember when I was young, I was 16, or sorry, 15-ish, 16 years of age, like some of you guys in here. And um, man, I was just coming into church. I wasn't raised in church. I got saved when I was about... 15 years old, my parents started coming to a church at the kind of my, the end of maybe my 14 year, 15 year range. And all this worship stuff was new to me. I didn't grow up with all that. You know, some of these kids like John, you know, he, he, he got it before he was, while he was in the womb. Uh, he, he, he bursted forth, you know, with praise and worship around a mama like he's got. I didn't grow up like that. So when I come into the, the house of the Lord, and man, these people, and I was born into, born, B-O-R-N-E, is that how you spell it? When I was born into the faith, I was born into a Pentecostal church. And now y'all know they lively. I mean, uh, they are they're, they're, they're just exciting, you know? I mean, they don't even make any apologies about it. They're just going about doing their thing and worship and everything. And so it was new to me. It kind of scared me. It was new to me. It was weird to me. And, but there was something exciting about it. It's like the fire. Don't touch the fire. It's hot. Don't touch the fire. But I got to touch it. You know, it's kind of like that. You, you, the, the fire is unique in that in 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 worship the fire of god but there's there's something mesmerizing about the fire of god you can't explain it but you just want to get closer to it you know but pride kept me from it because the spirit of god would be moving and See, I was ignorant. I was ignorant of the word. I didn't know the word. I didn't know uh, what the word said about worship. You know, it, we, a few weeks ago, we just went through David and how these different ways of worship, remember how we talked about that? And we talked about how 
Worship is what we prepare for. Like if you haven't prepared during the week, it's gonna be hard for you to connect in this service. See, because there's, there's no appetizer in the service. There's no appetizer in here. The appetizer uh, gets your body juices going. Like, come on, baby, bring the main app, uh, uh, entree out. Like in here, man, we're just diving in. We're diving in. But some folks, it's like, man, they need to be revved up like the old model A, model T, you know. You know, they got to go through a cranking up process. But I'm telling you what, if you've prepared during the week, you can come in and say, man, Brian, I'll I'll see you Tuesday uh, at at, uh, lunch or, or whatever. You walk through the doors, you were worthy of it all. Boom, I'm in. I'm in. Why? Uh, no, man, I got to wait to the third song. I got to wait to the third song, man, because I got I to gotta, I gotta warm up. No, you don't. No, you don't. If you've prepared, if you live a lifestyle of worship, when you walk through the door, put your stuff down, get your hands in the air, get to singing. That's all you got to do. Well, I don't feel it. It doesn't matter what you feel. I'm I'm sorry. It's about you? It's about me? It's not. So you don't have to feel anything. You know, there are different form, uh, levels of love. There are different levels of worship. Sometimes I just tell my wife stuff and I'm like, I do it because it's rote. It's memory. It's muscle memory. Love you, babe. I, was I th- do I mean that? Yes, I mean it. But do I mean it when it's like, I love you. Hmm. Are you following me? Like, you can love the Lord just by starting, just by saying you're worthy, God. You know, you, you will get there. But in this whole thing about worship, I was not in, into that whole worship thing. And I was worried about what other people would say about me and what my friends, what my buddies would think. What the, you know, I, I was, at times I wanted to impress her because she wasn't my wife. She wasn't even my girlfriend. She's just a girl up on stage singing. And there were times like I wanted to impress her. So I'm like, I can't raise my hands, man, because I got to look all, you know, if you knew me as a kid and knowing me trying to look macho, that is a laugh. That's laughable right there. What probably would have impressed her and, and, and moved her more than anything to see a guy out there with his hands in the air. You know what I'm saying? But I could not. Oh, I, but man, they would get to going. And man, those Pentecostals, they know how to get that music going. Whoa. I mean, and they, man, they'd be on the keys. And I don't know how they play the piano in church like Jerry Lee Lewis. I'm like, man, you know, they're all over the keys, you know, and, and it's like a hand in the air, like you just don't care. And it sounds like they ain't even missed a note. Like the Holy Ghost has the other key, hand down on the keyboard and they're just going to town. And there's something about that worship that just my hands, I wanted to get them in the air so badly. But I remember having a conversation as a 16 year old kid saying, I'm embarrassed. I don't want to. I don't want to get my hands in the air because of what people will think of me. Pride. Pride. See, we think of pride as this just <clears throat> out there in your face. No, that's, that is pride. But pride, that's when it manifests as arrogance. But pride can also manifest itself and disguise itself very subtly and sometimes even call itself humility. Hey, man, I have a gift for you. Oh, man, you know, thank you, but I don't, I can't receive this. Why not? I am worthy of it all. I'm worthy of it all. You're worthy of blessing, man. The Lord sent somebody. Man, the Lord put you on somebody's mind. Got them in Walmart. Lord, put you on my mind. You need to be at Dillard's, okay? All right, if Lord puts, you, puts me on your mind. I'm joking, I'm joking. I'm joking. <clears throat> but can I tell you, uh-huh, yes. But can I tell you that if God, somebody comes up to you with a gift, you receive it humbly. 
Don't let pride rob you of a blessing. And there will be people that will say, "Uh uh-uh, you ain't going to rob me of my blessing. You're taking this. Pride. Pride will manifest itself. When you're down and you're in need, when you are hurting, pride will keep you from asking people for help. I mean, you need to help yourself. Your family needs to help you first. The scripture says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or begging for bread. But it does not see. I've never seen. It doesn't say this. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor asking for help. Are you following me? You have not because you ask not. A lot of people don't ask because they got so much pride. I'm telling you what. I've been at places in my life where I have to have help. If I don't receive help. I'm going to, there's something really terrible is going to happen. I got to swallow my pride and I have to ask for help. So here at the very end of David's life, we see David has kind of given in to a bit of pride. I just want to kind of talk about this today with you because pride is one of those things that can be very detrimental to our faith. I want you to look at this real quick. So David David wants to bring the ark. His very first official act as president of Israel is to bring back the ark of his presence to the city. But David is ignorant of the ways of God. I think of myself as a young David. I'm not, you know, say that very humbly. I think of myself as a young David. There are things when I was early in my life I didn't know how to do because I didn't have the biblical knowledge. I wanted to do it, but I didn't know how to do it. David he wanted to bring the ark back, and he, he, he was copying the culture, the way the Philistines carried the ark, and God had forbade that. And so God said, no, you're not bringing the ark back that way. And at the threshing floor of Nacon, that's really important for where we're going in, in just a bit. At the threshing floor of Nacon, the, the oxen stumbled Uh, Uzzah reached out, God strikes him dead, and there's reasons for that. God wasn't just being ugly, but there is a way you come into royalty. There is a way that you come in to the presence of God, okay? The second thing that he wanted to do is he wanted to build a temple, again, for the presence of God. And he said, I'm going to build a temple right here for the Lord, a, a special tent. And this is what he was saying. You know, it's, it sounds good. He's like, look at me. I live in this beautiful palace. But the presence of God, the ark of the covenant of his presence is out there in a tent. Surely we can do better than this, people. And God said, thank you. I appreciate it. But no. You're not going to build a temple because you're a man of war and whoever builds my house is going to be a man of peace. It'll come through your son, Solomon. And then we see in the uh, chapter in 1 Chronicles that we're about to dive into, David begins to take a census, all right? I don't see what the big deal is about a census. Um, And the scripture says, study to show yourself approved unto God, rightly dividing the word. So I had to divide the word, get in and study this out. Because in in, uh, chapter 24 of 2 Samuel, you, you wouldn't get this. Like I read that and I'm like, God, come on, man. This just seems unfair. How, how you're reacting to, to the situation. But rightly dividing the word means if I don't understand this, I've got to find out where in the word that it's explained. So I found out that it explains it over in First Chronicles chapter uh, 21. And so he begins to have a census, all right? He's going out and he's getting uh, Joab to take a census of all of Israel. And God says, no, you're not going to do that. Why? Why is this so important to God? And this is where we find it. When Moses, the Lord spoke to Moses and he said, whenever you take a census of the people of Israel. Now he's saying this, this is, this is a law. This is a law. This goes for every king, every, every leader. 
He says, then the Lord said to Moses, whenever you take a census of the people of Israel, each man who is counted must pay a ransom for himself to the Lord. In in other words, an offering for himself to the Lord. Then no plague will strike the people as you count them. Each person who is counted must give a small piece of silver as a sacred offering to the Lord. See, the, the importance about this is God was making sure that the people of Israel knew who was God? And like every, everybody knows their places, right? I am the God who healeth thee. I am the God who saves you. I am the God who resources you. I'm God and you are not. You are the ones who depend on me. So when there is a census taken, everybody will bring an offering to the Lord to show their dependence, appreciation, and worship and worth. T-H, worship to the Lord. And this is why he said, when you do that, you're going to find out David did not follow these directions. God probably wouldn't have had a problem with it if he had followed the directions. But what happened is just like he didn't follow the directions on bringing the Ark of the Covenant back, now he's taking a census and he's not followed the directions on this either. And we'll dive into that in just a second. So what was happening here is, you know, David, it seems like there's some pride that's rising up in him because he was taking a census for his benefit and not the Lord's. Psalm 130. 38 and 6 says, though the Lord is great, he cares for the humble, but he keeps his distance from the proud. Like, dude, I'm telling you, if, if you, if you are prideful and if you, man, be like me. If you don't think you are prideful, say, God, search me. And if there's any pride, point it out to me because God keeps himself at a distance from the proud. Look at this. Proverbs 16 and 5 says, For the Lord detests the proud. They will surely be punished. God hates pride. He detests the proud. Look at this. Proverbs 16 and 18. Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. I'm telling you what. I have worked with some men who have been very, very prideful like very prideful, did not try to hide it. And I can tell you that a great fall came to their ministries. I've learned from their mistakes to try not to be a prideful person and not build my kingdom, but the kingdom. Amen? That's why you're, you're, you're not gonna, I'm not gonna say you won't ever see it, but that's why you don't see a lot of my pictures on things because the church does not need to be wrapped up in the identity of a person, but in the presence or the person of Holy Spirit, God the Father. Shay and I walked into a church years ago down in uh, Orlando, Florida, and a very, very well-known church. We were excited to be there. And we walked into the church, and I'll protect any names because I don't want to be, you know, you to think I'm casting stones at another ministry or whatever. I'm giving you an observance, okay? This is our observance. And as we're walking in into their uh, building, I mean, the pastor's photo is plastered everywhere, everywhere. Uh, let me just say, it, it would be like me, Rife Stewart Ministries, Rife Stewart Ministries on all the books in the bookstore, Rife Stewart Ministries uh, coming up with blah, 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 blah. There's, you walk in the uh, main commons and there's this massive like billboard of, of the pastor. And I said to Shay, I said, if this pastor leaves or dies, this church doesn't know who they are. Like they're not going to know who they are because everything is wrapped up in his identity. Listen, I'm telling you, none of us are irreplaceable. I am not irreplaceable. If something happened to me and I was not here tomorrow, God will raise somebody up. And if he doesn't, and it was all based on me, we need to shut it down anyway, because it's not his kingdom, it's my kingdom. And so uh, 
Uh, look, look at this. Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. I don't want to uh, operate in a spirit of pride and then, you know, some destruction come. My God, the enemy's working hard enough against the church. We don't need to invite destruction because God, he opposes the pr- prideful and he opposes the proud. Look at what Isaiah 14, 13 through 14 says. Um, when it's talking about Satan, all right? It says, for you, Satan, said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and sit, set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Listen, <clears throat> if I could just tell you, we're sons of God. We are sons of God. We are daughters of God. We are co-heirs with Christ, but we will never be God. We will never be gods, and we will never be God. Are we like him in a sense? Yes, in a sense that we uh, bear his witness, that we bear his DNA. But we will never be able to aspire to the place where the Holy One is. There's one God and one God only, and he shares his glory with no one. And the sin of, of Lucifer, that, that, that beautiful archangel, the one that the Father loved, He created Lucifer. Lucifer was beautiful to the Lord. And, 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 And here he ruins it because of the sin of pride that rises up inside of him. And so this is what I want to share with you today. That pride will keep us from the presence of God, but not from the opposition of God. Think about this. Pride will keep us from the presence of God. In other words, the presence of God is repelled by pride. But it does not repel, it actually attracts the opposition of God. Are you following me? This is so good. Look at James 4 and 6. It says, as the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God is fighting against the proud. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't want God pushing against me. I want God pushing with me. I want the the mighty hand of God excelling my efforts. I do not want him pushing against me because, friend, listen to me. Who do you think is going to win that battle? It ain't you. It's not me. So pride keeps us from the presence of God, but not the opposition of God. Let's look in First Chronicles chapter 21, and let's, let's dive into this, all right? I'm going to read the whole chapter. I know it's long, but the word of God is good. Amen? Amen. All right, so here we go. Chapter 22, I'm reading as usually, always, pretty much from the New Living Translation. Then David said, uh-oh, sorry, 21, Satan rose up because pride rises up. David, uh, Satan rose up against Israel and he caused David to take a census of the people of Israel. So this is not God inspired. This is literally demonically inspired. That, that's kind of scary to think that we can be pawns of the enemy. Like servants of the most high God, because we're human, we're frail. We're not on it. If we're not on it, the enemy, we can be agents of the enemy. So he rose up and caused David to take a census of the people. So David said to Joab, who was uh, one of his top guys, and the commanders of the army, take a census of all the people of Israel from Beersheba to the south, uh, in the south to Dan in the north. And bring me a report so I may know how many there are. But Joab replied, look at this. So see, hang on. These guys are in the know about stuff that you and I aren't necessarily in the know about. We aren't Jews. They are. They, they know the laws. So we have to study it out. But look, they're in the know about some stuff. So let's get back to it. But Joab replied, may the Lord increase the number of his people a hundred times over. But why, my Lord, the king, do you want to do this? 
Are they not all your servants? Why must you cause Israel to sin? Do you see how there's some background knowledge that we're not necessarily privy to? I already gave it to you in Exodus just a few minutes ago. They know this. So God hasn't called for a census. David's calling for a census. And Joab is saying, why are you causing the people of Israel to sin? Because we're going to do what our commander tells us to do. But verse 4, but the king insisted that they take the census. So Joab traveled throughout all of Israel to count the people. Then he returned to Jerusalem and reported the number of people to David. There were about 1.1 million warriors in all of Israel who could handle a sword and 470,000 in Judah. But Joab did not include the tribes of Levi and Benjamin in the census. And this is why, because he was so distressed at what the king had made him do. Like this is, this is not a little deal. This is not a little deal. Like, like, dude, we're doing this, but, but you're, you're going to cause us all You're going to take us all down with you. And it says that he didn't even do a full census. Didn't even include the Benjamites. Didn't even include the Levites. All right. And so in verse seven, look at this. But, and God was very displeased with the census and he punished Israel for it. Then David said to God, I have sinned greatly by taking this census. Please forgive my guilt for doing this foolish thing. Here's a beautiful thing about David. He was a man after God's own heart. He made some stupid mistakes. He made a mistake about the Ark of the Covenant. He made a mistake about the census, but hardly, well, nowhere do you ever see. Now, well, you know, I'm trying, I'm going to justify myself. I am the king. I should be able to do what I want. Never. And it's one of the beautiful parts about uh, Alan's message from last week. What, What got God's attention wasn't his sin, but his ability to quickly repent, his, his, his ability to quickly recognize when he was wrong, he was wrong. And he didn't go through a whole litany of things. He just said, man, I'm wrong. It's my responsibility. Please punish me and don't punish the others. Now, listen, he says, then the Lord, um, he says, please forgive me and my guilt for doing this foolish thing. Verse nine, then the Lord God spoke to Gad, the prophet, David seer. And this was his message. Go to David and say, this is what the Lord says. I'll give you three choices. Choose from one of these punishments and I will inflict it on you. So Gad came to David and said, these are the choices the Lord has given you. You may choose uh, three years of famine. You can choose three months of destruction by the sword of your enemies. So three months of hunger, uh, or sorry, three years of hunger, or three months of battle from your enemies. And then the last one, where am I at here? Uh, or three days of a severe plague as the angel of the Lord brings devastation throughout the land of Israel. Decide what answer I should give uh, the Lord who sent me. Verse 13, he says, man, I'm in a desperate situation. He said to Gad, but let me fall into the hands of the Lord for this, for his mercy is very great. Do not let me fall into human hands. All right. He's sitting here going, dude, I'm between a rock and a hard place. Like he didn't give me any good choices, but I'm going to take the one from the Lord because I'm telling you, oh, Jesus, listen, brothers and sisters, if there are people that you deserve their, uh, their verdict on you, oh my God, they're going to take you to the woodshed. They are going to let, let you have it. And they're, they're, they're not going to be operating out of, uh, you know, godly wisdom all the time. And they're going to be operating out of hurt. They're going to be operating out of trauma. They're going to be operating out of things. And you are going to get more than you probably deserve. But God, whatever the punishment is, is always going to be justified. The consequences are always going to be justified because God is a righteous judge. And David said, let me fall into the hands of the Lord because at least. I know he will be just. So verse 14, the Lord sent a plague upon Israel and 70,000 people died as a result. 70,000 people. So all of Daphne's dead, all of Fairhope's dead. Think about this. All of Robertsdale and Loxley and Somerdale, probably Foley too, all dead. 
because of one man and his, and his ignorance. And in this case, his pride. All right? So look at this. But, at, but just as the angel was prepared, uh, verse 15, and God sent an angel to destroy Jerusalem. My God, he wasn't just going, you know, the people. Now, now he's going after the holy city. But as the angel was preparing to destroy it, the Lord relented and said to the death angel, stop, that's enough. At that moment, the angel of the Lord was standing by the threshing floor of Arunah, the Jebusite. So the threshing floor, we're going to get there in a second. David looked up and saw the angel of the Lord standing between heaven and earth with his sword drawn, reaching out over Jerusalem. Now, look, look. I, I know this is just a little side note. Like, I'm just telling you, like, where, so where's David at? Like, how did, how did he get to the threshing floor of Arunah? That's not a place where a king would be. It's an it's a, it's a agricultural place. Like, how, listen, I'm just telling you, if there's an archangel of the Lord and he has come to bring destruction, the region will see it. The king is in his palace. He's always out there on the rooftop where, you know, it's his private quarters. And he sees an angel of the Lord in the air. Just so happens that he's over the, the part of Israel where Arunah's threshing floor was. And he sees it and he travels to the angel. And this is where he says, David looked up and saw the angel of the Lord standing between heaven and earth with his sword drawn, reaching out over Jerusalem. So David and the leaders of Israel put on burlap to show their, uh, their distress. That's a Middle Eastern way of showing uh, remorse and, and um, just, just repentance. Um, and they fell down on the ground and David said to God, I am the one who called for the census. I'm the one who sinned and, and uh, did wrong, done wrong. He's from the south. Uh, but these people are as innocent as sheep. What have they done? Oh, Lord, my God, let your anger fall upon me and my family, but do not destroy whose people? Your people. Now, he's taken a census because they're my people. But now he realized these are not my people. Oh, my God. If y'all were just a bunch of pastors, I'd just preach to pastors for a second. Because can I just tell you, y'all ain't my people. Y'all ain't my people. Y'all are the Lord's people. Y'all are not my sheep. I don't own the pasture. I serve in the pasture. And, and, and these pastors, you know, will get upset. And I've seen man, men of God. Listen, it hurts every time somebody goes somewhere else because you get attached to folks. But listen, it, the, God will send you somewhere and God will bring somebody to replace you. But I am just the shepherd. David was just the shepherd. He realized I, I may be king. I may be apostle of this house. I may uh, be prophet of this house. I might be pastor, teacher, evangelist of this house but hear me you're not mine I don't own you you can go wherever you want to go uh you get a you get you get the choice will if, if you leave will it hurt yes it will leave when you leave and you leave wrong does it hurt yes it does hurt when you leave right like we've had several families recently move because of different things does that hurt yes it does but it's a different kind of hurt when somebody leaves uh, uh under wrong circumstances but at the end of the day regardless of how it hurts and the style of hurt or whatever, I have to submit myself to the Lord and say, God, I need to be faithful to what you've called me to do right here at 28328 County Road 13, Destiny Church. I cannot, uh, it's not my job to manage the kingdom. It's just my, my job to manage this portion of the pastor. Do you understand? So David has a very humbling experience right here. He realizes very quickly as God is putting him in his place that I'm the shepherd, I'm the shepherd. Yes, Lord, I'm the shepherd. Don't, 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 don't kill anymore, God. I'm the shepherd, I'm the shepherd, I'm the shepherd. 
Lord, let me take full responsibility for it. You see that? God loves that. God loves when we are not defiant in your face like like, uh, Saul was. He loved the heart of David and the fact that he didn't have to be uh, beaten repeatedly to, uh, to, you know, into submission. But David quickly recognized that's a mark of a good leader, I'm telling you. The mark of a good leader is when they see, not that they don't make mistakes, but when they see they've made a mistake. And I'm not talking about just leaders like me. I'm talking about fathers. I'm talking about husbands. I'm talking about wives. I'm talking about kids in families that we recognize when we've made a mistake and we try very quickly to take responsibility for it. So he said, let your anger fall against me and my family. Verse 18, then the angel of the Lord told Gad to instruct David to go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arunah the Jebusite. So David went to do what the Lord had commanded him to do through Gad. Arunah, who was busy threshing wheat at the time, turned and saw the angel there. His four sons who were with him ran and hid. When Arunah saw David approaching, he left his threshing floor and he bowed before David with his face to the ground. And David said to Arunah, let me buy this threshing floor from you at its full price. Then I will build an altar to the Lord there so he will stop the plague. Take it, my Lord, the king, and use it as you wish, Aronah said to David. I will give you the oxen for the burnt offering and the threshing boards uh, for wood to build a fire on the altar and the wheat for the grain offering. I'll, I'll give it all to you. But the king David replied to Aronah, no, I insist on buying it for the full price. I will not take what is yours and give it to the Lord. I will not present burnt offerings that have not cost me nothing. So David gave Arunah 600 pieces. That's roughly $307,000 in today's currency. Uh, He gave him 600 pieces of, of gold in payment for the threshing floor. David built an altar there to the Lord and sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. That's important. And when David prayed, the Lord answered him by sending fire from heaven to burn up the offering on the altar. Then the Lord spoke to the angel who put the sword back into his sheath. How many of you know that's a good sign? Like, put that baby back. And then David saw the Lord had answered his prayer. He offered sacrifices there at Arunah's threshing floor. At the time, the tabernacle of the Lord Uh, At that time, the tabernacle of the Lord and the altar of burnt offerings that Moses had made in the wilderness were located at the place of worship in Gibeon. But David was not able to go there to inquire of God. This is important because he was terrified by the drawn sword of the angel of the Lord. Pride brought about the angel of the Lord of destruction. David was afraid to go to the holy place to worship. He was afraid of the angel of the Lord. So the tent of meeting, the tent of worship, the tent that that housed the Ark of the Covenant was in Gibeon. He wanted to go there. He wanted to, but pride kept him from being able to get there because of, 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 and fear the angel of the Lord. And then I just want to read one verse in chapter 22. Then David said, this will be the location for the temple of the Lord God and the place of altar for Israel's burnt offerings. David said, this will be the location. What location? The threshing floor. He owned it now. He bought it for those 600 pieces of gold. Now I want you to look at this. All right, say say this with me real quick because I want to get it in our spirits. Pride keeps us from the presence of God but not the opposition of God. I want you to look at this, all right? The spiritual significance of the threshing floor. Now, I haven't threshed this out. (laughs) See what I did there? I I haven't fleshed this out, but I think it's interesting that two significant events happened in David's life at threshing floors. When he brought the Ark of the Covenant, it was that whole scenario happened at the threshing floor of Nacon, Now he finds himself all these years, nearly 40 years later, at the threshing floor of Arunah. All right? What's the spiritual significance of threshing floors? Well, if you don't know what a threshing floor is, it's this round uh, 
uh, area where farmers, where they would take all of the wheat harvest and they would place it in there. And then these oxen would go in and they would have these threshing boards that would be pulled behind the oxen and they would just go in circles and circles. And it would separate the wheat from the good stuff, from the bad stuff. It would separate the wheat from the chaff. Now, if you follow Jesus' teachings over in the New Testament, he said, that's how it will be on the day of the Lord. There will be a thresh, I will clear, clean the threshing floor. And so uh, they would toss it up in the air with uh, their winnowing fork, which like, basically like a pitchfork, they would throw it up in the air and the, the wind would blow away the light stuff, but the, but the grains would fall back down to the ground and leave the good stuff. And from there is what they would make bread and flour and, and different kind of things. So this is, this is what he's talking about. This is where all of this is happening. This is what David bought for nearly 300, a little over $300,000 worth of gold in today's currency. And this is the significance. Number one, who was there? Arunah and his sons were there and they were threshing wheat. So the significance of the threshing floor, the, the place of meeting, Holy Spirit, is a place of work. When we come to this place, we have to understand coming to the house of God is a place of service. There is a place of work. When I come here on Sundays, I come with the intention of serving. I come with the intention of working. In the American culture, if you've never been out of the United States and served on a mission trip, I beg you to go at some point because you will see how blessed and if I can just be so bold to say how spoiled we are in the American. Man, if I had time, I could preach you a sermon uh, uh, about how God uh, handled me of some pride that I had on my very first missions trip. I think Rochelle was on that trip with me. Maxie, were you on that trip with me? All right. Oh, I'm going to take the time and tell it since two people are in here that were with me on it. And Shay was on that trip with me. Uh, I went into this place. We went into this little uh, place and they had one guy playing the guitar no offense Stephen they had one at least you got all your teeth he uh I mean he had he had probably I'm not even joking two strings on his guitar I don't know if he had that many teeth in his mouth and he's over there and he's playing and we we came with our songs and man we we came from the United States we're gonna show these people I don't know if any of these kids they were kids at the time I don't know if any of them had this attitude but I'm like man we've got it together we're gonna sing our songs we're gonna do our thing and oh oh Jose back here on the keyboard or, or uh, uh the guitar he starts playing with it and I'm like I'm like bro you don't even know these songs these American songs like and you ain't even got but two two strings on your guitar and no, no kind of amplification system in the church, just nothing, man. I'm like, man, all these other people, they broke up into teams and they went to their churches and they're talking about, oh, our church was amazing. You know, we were on live TV and I'm like, y'all had TV cameras in your church? Man, we didn't even have a whole instrument in the church. But Jose, he's in there. He's hanging in there. And he's like, you know, oh, there it is. You know, and he's getting like on, on his two keys. And I'm just, I'm irritated. I'm irritated. I get back and everybody's telling their Holy Ghost stories. And I'm like, yeah, well, we didn't have a good, we didn't even have a translator. I mean, man, I'm telling you, the translator, his name was Abraham. I get up to preach. Abraham ain't been, he, he don't speak no English. They give me a non-English speaking translator. Who? What? Abraham, right in the first five minutes of the message, Abraham bursts into tears. Do y'all remember that? Abraham bursts into tears and runs out the church. And I'm looking I'm like, yo, Kiero Taco Bell, like what? We don't know. Nobody on our team knew Spanish, not enough to translate a whole sermon. And so we just did the best we could. I was just irritated with God. Why? Because I was prideful. I did not go there to work. I didn't go there to serve. I went there to show off. I didn't know I was, but I was. 
And here the next night, we go there and we get an actually amazing translator after that. But they begin to tell us why they don't have uh, more instruments. Somebody broke into their church, stole their sound system, stole their piano, stole all of this equipment. And who have they got? They got Jose over there. Oh, Lord Jesus. You know, he's going to town. And y'all understand, this is humor, okay? So don't get all that appropriation stuff. Uh, don't, don't get off in all that mess. I am so embarrassed by my attitude and behavior because they were offering us the best they had and I was indignant of it because I haven't learned the lesson yet that when we come to the house of meeting, it's a place of service. It's a place of, of, of not performing it's a place of getting into his presence and saying, what do you need? What do you need? What do you need? How can I serve? How can I serve? While we're there that night and some, at some point in the service, God began to deal with my heart on it. And he, I mean, he was chastising me. And he said, uh, I think, I could be wrong about this, but I think they um, had, a, had bought a projector. It got stolen too. And so the Lord spoke to me in that time, really chastising me and reproving me. And he said, because of your pride, because of your attitude, you will go back home and you will raise the money to replace what was stolen. And so we did. We went back home. I don't know if you guys remember that. We went back home. We raised the money for it. We sent it down to Mexico. Uh, and, you know, whatever they did with it is up to them. But, you know, God was teaching me a lesson. When we come to the house of the Lord, we are coming. And this is a place of service. It, it, it is not to, to be consumed. Like, I'm not a consumer here. I truly, when we get that in our spirit, it doesn't matter how many musicians we have, how many singers. It doesn't matter that the pastor's on the praise and worship team because he has to be. It doesn't matter about all of that stuff. It matters just that we come to serve. How can I help today, God? How can I serve somewhere? I didn't come to, uh, to eat. And many people don't understand when I say you do not come to the house of God to get fed. That might be a a privilege that happens while you're here. But when we come here, our primary purpose is for us to lift his name up, to worship him, to give him homage and adoration. That's the first and foremost reason that we are here. And if you are in a good church, you'll see here in just a second, you are gonna get fed, but that's not the reason you come. You go home and you break out the bread at your house or in your car or on your lunch break or someplace or get some, together with some buddies, but you feed yourself. You feed yourself. You don't want me coming into your house uh, with, with some food saying, sit down at the table, baby. I'm fixing to feed you. That'd be weird, wouldn't it? Here, take a bite. Open up. It's weird. At church, you don't come to get fed. That's a beautiful byproduct of it. We come to serve. We come to worship. So the spiritual significance is it's a place of service. It's a place of separation, of separating the good and the bad, the wheat and the chaff. It's a place of separation. It's a place where when we come to this house, listen to me, my church family, when we come to this house, every single time you come to the house of God, and I'm not saying you, I'm saying we, every time we come to the house of God, we ought to leave with something blown away from our life. We ought to leave. There ought to be another level of dross that's, that's uh, in the refining that's wiped off of us. And, and, and we become more and more perfect in him. We become more and more purified in him. If you find yourself at a place, listen, you have to understand there are times when the conviction of the Holy Ghost will be on you and not, the, uh, not condemnation because Jesus didn't come to condemn us. 
He came to lift us up, but there is a convicting power of the Holy Spirit that will say to you that there are things in your life. As a matter of fact, the prophetic word was part of that earlier. Lay that stuff down. That, that's the chaff. That's the stuff you don't need to be carrying away. And God's trying to separate that. Every week when you walk through these doors, when you come into a place of worship, there ought to be a separation of something from you that is not of you. That is not of you. Because you're out there in the world and, and, and when you come back in here, you can't bring that crap in here. When you're out there in the world, you can't bring that mindset in here. There's a separation of that that happens weekly. There's also spiritual food. There's spiritual food. This, this is a place where bread, the beginning of bread is made. Wheat is being ground. There's a grinding process. I didn't like what the pastor said. He stepped on my toes. I think he's talking about me. Well, if I am, then you need to separate whatever God's trying to separate from you. Be glad I didn't call your name out. Are you following me? If you don't want that, you don't want that, go to a mega church where nobody knows your name. You'll never meet the pastor. There's a time and a place for that. And there are ministries that are mega church for a reason. Because they've got to bring people in at a certain place. But I'm telling you, the closer you get, the, the, the more you are going to have to open yourself up to the chastening of God's Holy Spirit. And many times he's doing it at the person, man or woman, in front of you. It's a place of spiritual food. There's a grinding that's going on. It's an iron sharpening iron. It is not always pleasant. God forbid if you come into this house and every week you go, mm, decent message. Didn't really challenge me any. I guess I'm good. God forbid. Because none of us are that way. Do you understand that many times these messages are born out of things that Holy Spirit is chastening me with? So I've already been in the whipping closet before you. You know, the chastening, I've already been ground. But there's spiritual food. This is a place where the, the wheat is ground down and there's just the meal that's left. There's just the meal. What do they do? They take that meal and what do they, or flour, they take that and they, they make bread out of that. It's Bethel, house of fresh bread. There's fresh bread. There's revelation that we should be getting in the house of God. Listen, I don't care if you can name the 12 tribes of Israel. I don't care if you know how many gifts of the spirit or fruit of the spirit there are. I don't care if you can tell me all of the seven uh, seals in the book of Revelation. I don't care about all of that knowledge. If there's not transformation and only information, God, when you come to the house of God, there needs to be transformation that is happening. The world and lives that come to this house, there ought to be a transformation happening in your life. Listen, my friend, if you are where you were six months ago and no transformation, can I just tell you, you're on your way to spiritual death. My God, I know that's hard. Pastor Rife, you ain't going to build a church. Good, because I'm not trying to. I'm trying to build people. I'm trying to build people up. I'm trying to call people to a place of greatness. And if you are where you were six months ago, you are where you were, uh, you know, a year or two year or five year. But listen, I'm telling you, my friends, that there are people in this church that I've known for 25 years that I've known for 15 years, that I've known for 10 years, and there's no transformation. I'm telling you what, some of our friends, some of our family members are not gonna make it into heaven, but they think they are. They're gonna be standing before the Lord and say, now Lord, I, I served on the security team. Now Lord, I, 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 I wiped tiny holes in the nursery. God, I did da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Can I just tell you? You are... If it, none of that matters. If you don't have the main thing, the main thing, that he is Lord of your life and you're hungry for him and you're, stru you're, 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 you're going hard after him. Not, none of that other stuff matters. Spiritual food, spiritual food. When you receive spiritual food, you ought to be seeing a visible transformation in your life. Don't be spiritually dead and stand before the Lord one day and him say, hey, 
I'm sorry. Come on in, Valerie. Come on in, Butch. Hey, can you, you're going to have to go over here because I don't know who you are. And then she says, "Uh uh-uh. No, I was the leader of the prayer team, Destiny Church. I've been a, I, get, I gave every Sunday. I, he's like, yeah, I'm sorry. You're going to have to over here. Depart from me. I don't know who you are. are we got to be transformed, man. Got to be transformed. All right, spiritual food. There's sacrifice. David, what happened at the threshing floor? He immediately began making sacrifices. But if you remember... It said that he, he made uh, two offerings, two sacrifices. And those sacrifices, one represents repentance. There's, there's a sacrifice of atonement that he made. And that's for me, I'm, I'm repenting of my sin. But then this other is an offering of praise, of worship. And we've gotten into this place in today's church where, see, we, we, we got sacrifice mixed up. Can I just tell you for a moment, like you do not get to pick and choose where you, where you sacrifice and how you sacrifice. Because the sacrifice is not for you and it's not predicated upon whatever your beliefs or uh, preferences are. Because it's God who is the one the sacrifice is being given to. Well, I don't tithe because, well, I just don't. And I, you know, I, I just don't give because I'm giving my time, you know. Guess what, dude? I'm just saying, you, you close to being one of those, uh, I, I don't know who you are. Depart from me. Well, I, I, I don't, I don't, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I don't give because, you know, they needed, they needed uh, some drums, and I, and I bought drums for the church. Good for you. I'm saying you because you paid for the majority of those drums. Good for you. Good for you. Good for you and. Because this is what the words of Jesus said. When they went and asked him, hey, should we tithe? You know, should we? At that time, they, they were tithing in the resources that they had, which was spices and agricultural type stuff. Should, should we do that or should we do this? And the Lord Jesus said, you should do that and you should not neglect the former. Uh, or the, the, yeah, the former. You should do both of those. You can't, you, you can't pick and choose. You can't say, I serve every Sunday at the door, man. I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm good. No, you're not. You can't just eat uh, whipped cream. Are you going to let your kid just eat whipped cream or are you going to make them eat some meat and vegetables? You, you can't pick and choose. Well, I, I gave that one time to missions that time, you know. No. It, that's, well, I serve at church work day. I shouldn't have to church. I, that's twice a year. I shouldn't have to serve. No, 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 my friend. This is a place of worship. It's a place of sacrifice. It's a place of, I don't get to pick and choose. I get to go, God, what ways do you want to be worshiped? How do you want to be worshiped? What things do you ask of me? And then let me just step forward and do it. And then there's a supernatural encounter. At the very end of David's time there at the threshing floor, after he had offered his sacrifices, listen, David said, I won't offer anything up that didn't cost me something. It's going to be a sacrifice. It's going to be a sacrifice. It's going to be a sacrifice for you. One of the hardest messages to preach in a church is financial. Church, listen to me as I scan the audience and try to look at everybody so nobody's singled out. That ought to be one of the easiest things. We shouldn't even have to spend time on that. My God, get it once or twice uh, in your lifetime. And I'm telling you, I'm glad that my parents raised me up on tithing. I'm glad from the time I was 17, had my first job. And listen, I I didn't need that lesson again. I don't care what people think. I've tithed since I was 17 years of age. Are we required to tithe uh, not to be cursed? Absolutely not. 
God took away the curse on the cross. We don't, we're not cursed people, but there is a blessing in the tithe that comes from, that, from, from being in that kind of relationship with God. But listen, I needed that once a year. Or, or not once in my lifetime. I don't need a pastor to come back and, you know, rev me up about halfway uh, through because I've done got lazy in my giving. I know what the mission is of this church. I know what's at stake in our world. I know what's at stake in people's lives. And giving is a act of worship for me. Yeah. All right? So just do the right thing. Worship God. Let it be a part of who you are. I remember the day when I made that decision and I'm never going back. I'm never going back to being dependent on myself. I give and I operate in a, in a, in a covenant of generosity with the Lord and I say, God, I'm faithful with my tithe. I'm faithful with my offerings so I don't have to worry about my needs. Why? Because God, I'm in a covenant with you financially. I give and you give back to me as I need it. I'm telling you what, if you do that stuff, it works. It does, it does. Supernatural encounter after he's given all of his offerings to the Lord. What he does is he, Holy Spirit, God sends a fire and consumes the offering. Spiritual significance of the fresh threshing floor is that there should be fire of God. Today, if you haven't seen fire of God, come ask me and I'll recount the places in our service where you saw the fire of God. When you show up, it's not a mortuary that you're going to. It's not a funeral home. It's not a ball game. It's not a PTO meeting. It's not a business meeting. When you come into this place, this is the presence of God. And we ought to expect for the CEO of the kingdom to show up. We should expect God in all of his glory. Listen, you might be okay with the, with the omnipresence of God. Listen, Satanists have the omnipresence. They can't get away from God's presence. But I'm talking about the manifest glory of God, the manifest presence of God. And every time we show up in this house, I've had people to tell me, man, ain't no way God can move like that every week. Man, I'll slap the taste out of your mouth. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right. David, that was a David. <laughs> that, was a, that was a David thing to say right there. Man, don't you, don't you. Don't you tell me how God can move. You can put God in a box if you want to, but I will not put God in a box. And every Sunday when we show up, God might show up different every time, and he probably will, but there should be a supernatural encounter with God. All right? So pride keeps me. Say it with me. Pride keeps me from the presence of God, but not the opposition of God. God, I don't want to fight you. I don't want to fight you. I don't want you to oppose me, God. I want you to bless everything that I do because you've said that I'm worthy of it all. So how do we activate the message? How do we activate it? It's super easy. What does God want me to separate myself from? Again, when the prophet Allen came to the stage and shared what he said, wasn't that what Holy Spirit was saying to us? And he had no idea what the message was about today. What is it that God is trying to separate me from? And this is as simple as it is. Identify it and sacrifice it to God. Just identify it. Man, come on, you guys are smart people. You don't need me to tell you what God is trying to separate you from. You know, because you felt the tugging of the Holy Spirit for weeks, some of y'all for years. And it's just time, it's time. There's a time, the song says, there's a time for healing, there's a time for forgiveness, there's a time, there is a time for sacrifice, and the time is now. It's a Kairos moment that God is calling for us to sacrifice themselves.